This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. We often hear theological statements, and I call them theological statements because that's what they tend to be, uh, that, that are either wrong or they are superstitious or at the very least, they're very, very shallow, uh, and they spread amongst Christians, I, I found, especially in social media. I see a lot of memes. I call it meme theology, and I see people post these neat little pictures that have these sayings on them, and I look at it and I say, that is so wrong. That's not what the Bible says. But because it makes me feel good, I pass it on and share it with my friends, and so that way, we end up a lot of times passing along error. Um, and, and the reason that happens, I, I think, is because so many of us who claim Jesus as our Savior, listen to me, and this is not saying anything bad about you, but this may be you, so many of us who claim Jesus as our Savior really don't have a firm grounding in what we believe. We really don't. And, uh, and so the series this summer is kind of helping us to understand some things that we do believe, what the Bible says. That's the motive behind what we're doing this summer in Who Told You That? Uh, there are a lot of things out there that have us, that a lot of us have heard, and, and maybe all our lives, the one we're going to look at this morning. Some of you say, I've heard that my whole life. I thought it was in the Bible. Um, but they're not. They're not out of the Scripture. Um, and today's line of thinking, today's line of thought that we're going to deal with, and I hope, congregation, you're ready for what we're about to do, but today's line of thinking says, God won't give me any more than I can handle. Not the Bible. You know, it sounds uplifting. God won't give you any more than you can handle. It sounds uplifting and, and, uh, and, and encouraging and assuring, and it makes me feel better. It tells me that God knows my breaking point, that God knows my limits. And because he loves me, he's not going to let anything in my life cross over that threshold. He's going to hold, hold those things back from me. Believing that helps me feel better about what's happening in my life. After all, God won't give me more than I can handle. Thank you. Problem is, somebody's listening, problem is, it isn't true. In fact, it's, it has a sister statement that you've heard as well. Sister statement to this one is this, God helps those who, who told you that? Doesn't say that in the Bible. And that's a sister statement to this one we're looking at this morning. In fact, the Bible not only doesn't say that, the Bible pr pretty much says the opposite. And we're going to look at what the Scripture says this morning. But what do you do, Rick? What do you do when life throws you a curveball, when you get the wind knocked out of you, or you, you get cut off at the knees, and the stress and the anxiety piles up so high that you cannot see your way out, that you look down the tunnel, and there is no light that you can see? Have you ever said, okay, God, you said I'd never get more than I could handle, but right now that's exactly what I've got. And God, I know you promised. You ever said that to him? You ever tried to encourage someone who's going through a trial of some kind with those words? Where did it come from, that saying? Well, who knows? Mother Teresa is quoted as saying, quote, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. Now, let me say, uh, if she said that, she got it wrong. 
In fact, she got it backwards. You see, here's the deal. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need to trust me. I need to trust God. That's what's right. God doesn't need to trust me. In fact, here's the deal. Please hear this. Theology 101, God doesn't need anything. All right? Somebody ever says, God needs you to do this or God needs you to do that, the answer to that is God needs me to do nothing. God doesn't need me. I need him. God has everything that he needs in himself. He has no needs. I need God in my life. I need to trust him. He's not looking for people that he can trust. He's looking for people who trust him. And if I don't trust him, listen to me, Christian. If I don't trust him, he's going to find somebody else who does and put some blessing in their life, an opportunity in their life. Keep that in mind. It's a misinterpretation, this statement. It's not as backwards, it's a misinterpretation of an important truth. If I misinterpret truth, it becomes, it no longer is truth, it becomes false. Did you get that? I can take a verse in the Bible that's true, but if I misinterpret it, I've taken the truth out of it. And the source for this poor interpretation is most likely a verse that you probably have heard, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that has a great truth in it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Now, some of you read that verse, and you've read that before, and you looked at it again, and you say, but you see, Rick, it says, beyond what you are able, and it says, so that you're able to bear it. But if that's your response to that verse, you've missed what it that we're able to bear is. If you are here last Sunday, I talked about the importance of rightly understanding God's word. So let's look at this verse again and look at it in its context in just a few moments to understand what it is saying. But let's look at it again, and I've underlined some important words for you. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted Beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you're able to bear it. It goes back to what? Temptation. So this verse is about temptation to sin. Specifically, it's not about trials. It's not about heavy burdens. It's not about coming to the end of your rope. It says when we are tempted to sin, and for me that's daily, how about you? When we are tempted to sin, it says, God always provides me a way out of it so that we do not have to sin, so that there is never an excuse for the Christian to sin. God's always given us a way out. Paul is using here in this verse the example of the Hebrews. He goes back and he says, let's look at the Hebrews and Moses as they were going from Egypt to the promised land. Remember their story, and he very quickly recounts some things that happened in that story. And he kind of winds up by helping us to realize as we remember that story in Exodus that if there was a way for them to sin and rebel against God during that journey, they sure found them. 
They did so many things, and he recounts some of what they did. So if you're on page 1056, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me get to the right passage. We're going to read verses 6 through 12, and then we just read verse 13 a couple times. We'll jump down and read verse 14. Verse 6. Now these things, he's talking about these, the Hebrews as they're crossing from one place to Egypt to the promised land. For these things became examples for us. Why? So that we will not desire evil things as they did. That story's recorded so that we can look at what they did and say, God, that's not how I want to respond to you. That's not how I want to respond to temptations. Don't become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 fell dead. And let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did. Oh, let's go back and read that again. Nor should we complain. Any complainers here? Don't raise your hand. I see the guilt written all over my face. Nor should we complain as some of them did. And were killed by the destroyer. Now, verse 11, these things happened as some of them, or excuse me, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. And then he gives verse 13 about temptation. No temptation has come upon you. Verse 14 He says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry, another one of their their sins. Now, temptation, please get this. Temptation is not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. If it is, then Jesus was a sinner because Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? It's not a sin to be tempted, but sin always starts with temptation. Always begins that way in our lives. So this verse isn't talking about life circumstances. It's not talking about heavy burdens. It's not talking about trials and anxieties. It's not even talking about tragedies. It's about temptation to sin. That's what that verse is about. But it's been twisted. It's been perverted, if you will. It's been misinterpreted. Now back to last Sunday. If you were here, you heard this point last Sunday. This is in the message last week about the Bible. Rightly understood, the Bible builds up for good. Wrongly understood or misunderstood, it tears down for evil. And use the example that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount about the wise man and the foolish man who built the houses. Rightly understood, it builds up. Wrongly understood, it tears down. So, is, Rick, is it wrong to believe that God won't allow anything to come into my life that totally overwhelms me? Is that a wrong thing to believe? And the answer is yes. If that's not what the Bible says, it is wrong to believe that. What happens to people who wrongly understand verse 13 and think it means nothing's going to happen in my life that's going to overwhelm me? Here's what happens invariably. What happens is when people believe that God will never allow or permit anything into my life that totally blows me over, that totally sinks my ship, where I get into a place where I can never find my way out, what happens is a couple of things. What happens when I, when I hear that my child has a terminal disease? That's a pretty heavy burden, isn't it? What happens when my spouse abandons me and my children? 
What happens when my job is lost and I've got no money to pay the bills? What happens? Look at this picture. What about these guys here? You know that, that picture? The Coptic Christians from Egypt who were captured by ISIS and there on the beach were beheaded? What about those guys? If they believe, God, nothing's going to happen in my life that I can't handle, what happens to us? We experience those kinds of trials. Where is God when those things happen in my life? And what is his role? Here's why a wrong misunderstanding of that verse and really a wrong understanding of our relationship to God is destructive. And I think there are at least three dangers from believing God will never put anything on you that you can't handle. Many people feel that when life gives them more than they can honestly handle, and we've probably all, everybody in this room has been there at one time or another at least, we may conclude if we're wrongly understanding that verse and we're clinging to a promise that is not there, here are the three dangers. Number one, God has let me down. God, you failed. God, you promised, didn't you? No, didn't promise that. But we'll think God's let me down. The other danger that tears down is we come to the conclusion, number two, that he must not love me. He doesn't love me. God, if you really love me, you wouldn't allow this to happen in my life. You ever told God that? Listen, he loves you enough that he let his son die on a cross and he turned his back on him so that he could complete the work. Don't say that he doesn't love you. But that's what people will conclude. God, you should have bailed me out on this. Number three, the other danger is that I'm too weak and lack faith. Oh, God, I know this happened because I just don't have enough faith. So if it's true that, that either God promised us something he can't deliver or he never promised it, it's one or the other. Which is it? The truth is God never promised to bail us out. That's not the promise. If he did, then every Christian who has suffered the loss of a child, every Christian who has never recovered from bankruptcy, every Christian who thought God would save her marriage but didn't, every Christian in the history of Christianity who died burnt at a stake or beheaded on a beach in the Middle East was failed by God. That's the only conclusion you can come to. You see, you can't have it both ways. So, Rick, does God allow things in my life that completely overwhelm me and take me to the brink? Let's look at what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 30. begins on page 1069. Paul asks a question, are they servants like Christ, talking about other people that are teaching and so forth? Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. Mad I'm a better one. Paul says, if they're servants of Christ, these false teachers that he was comparing himself to, if they're servants of Christ, he said, I'm talking like a madman. I really don't want to go here, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. I'm a better one. With far more labors, many more imprisonments, Far worse beatings. He's saying, here's all the things that have gone on in my life because I'm an apostle, because I'm a missionary, because I'm representing Christ. Near death many times. Five times I received 39 lashes from Jews. Five times he was beaten like that. 
Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea, floating, grabbing hold of whatever would hold him. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers from false brothers. Paul says, I have, my life has been dangerous. Labor and hardship and many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, and without food, cold and lacking nothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. So Paul says, who is weak and I'm not weak? Paul's admitting something here, I'm weak. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. How many of us do that? We boast about where we're weak. Paul says, that's what I'm going to boast about right now, and he's going to tell us why. Paul writes about his own trials here, not to brag on his endurance and not to brag on his strength, but to show the Corinthians that what he has endured thus far was proof that he served God. So often we want to look the other way. Here's where we want to look, especially in America. We want to look at at financial success, and we want to look at good health. We want to look at prosperity in so many different ways and come back and look at those things and say, gee, I must be living right. I remember one time when I was a a senior in college, I had a wisdom tooth that would just, I I had all my wisdom teeth and never had any taken out. And, but I had one that was just, had gotten really sore. Gum around it was really sore and I don't know what was wrong with it, but it was really bad, and it was on a Christmas Eve, and, and I was working at the time in J.C. Penney selling shoes, and the lady that worked in the dentist's office came in on her lunch break to buy a pair of shoes, and I waited on her, and I said, man, my tooth is really bugging me on Christmas Eve. She said, what time do you get off? I said, 3 o'clock. She said, come by. Come on by. So I, went, I got off of work, went right to the dentist's office, and he did an x-ray, and he saw that wisdom tooth, and I, I don't know that he could really say what was wrong with it, but he said, he showed me the picture, of it and the root was curved. It wasn't straight down like it should have been. It was curved. And he said, he said, now, Rick, he said, I can try to take this out. He said, but there's a good risk that the root's going to break off when I do because of the way it's He said, you might want to go to an oral surgeon. I said, no, we're here. Let's do it. He said, well, if it breaks off and I go in there digging after it, he said, I might hit a nerve and you could have permanent paralysis on that side of your face. He said, you're going to be a lousy kisser. (laughs) Which Gail will testify that I am not. (laughs) Amen, sister? (laughs) There's no pressure right there. I said, go for it. So, man, he did all the things that they do when they're pulling. And he he was up on top and pushing down with something. And all of a sudden, I hear him go, boop. He goes, there it is. And he pulls it out and he goes, root intact. And his words were, you must be living right. I don't know. But a lot of times that's what we think. If we have some kind of prosperity, I must be living right. Not Paul. Paul's conclusion is that God will give us more than we can handle. And get what Paul's saying here. He's not saying, all this happened to me, but please understand, I am the Apostle Paul. 
Strong as a rock in Jesus, I got it covered. Nothing phases me. That's not what he was saying. He's boasting in his weakness. He's boasting in the fact that these things were overwhelming to him. But he discovered that when he is the weakest and he cannot handle it, here's what he discovered. God can. God can. And that exchange, get this, that exchange from my ability or my strength in me, that exchange to God's ability takes courage and it takes faith. Do you know this verse? If not, it it needs to become one of those Bible principles upon which you hang your hat. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is key to living the life that we're called to live in Jesus. Read this with me. Let's read it aloud. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live. I'm dead. Why? Because I've been crucified in Christ. So it's Christ who lives in me. And that's the life he's called us to live, not in our own strength, but in his. And one of the toughest lessons in life to learn is that I may not be able, but he is. Paul learned it. Paul lived it. And hear, hear me. If Paul can learn it and Paul can live it, so can you, so can I, by God's grace. Look with me at, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Just a few pages back from where you were. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1063, verse 8. Listen to what Paul says about what he and Timothy learned about their strength versus God's strength when they went through some terrible persecutions. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of, the, of our affliction that took place in Asia. Now get this, he says, we were completely, what? Overwhelmed. Completely overwhelmed. So that we even despaired of life. What was Paul saying? We thought we were going to die. We really did. It was that bad. Indeed, I find this amazing. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves. Here's what he was saying. We pretty much looked at each other and said, we're going to die. Let's accept that. That's what's going to happen here. They're not going to let us out of this area without killing us. And we accepted that. We said, we have a death sentence. We're going to die. Wasn't a suicide thing. They just knew these people that hate us and the gospel so much are not going to let us leave. They're going to kill us. We personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we, why do we have that death sentence? Why do we think it was that bad? Get this, so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Even if we die, that's not the end. They were trusting in God. The message paraphrase takes that same, those same verses and reads like this. We don't want you in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all this came down on us in, in the Asia province. It was so bad we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. Well, as it turned out, 
It was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. Next point in your notes is this. Our greatest trials can result in our greatest trust in God. There's a purpose for life's heaviest burdens. It's not to to cause us to realize our own, or excuse me, it causes us, it is to cause us to realize our own inability to get out from under them. To help us see we are not self-sufficient. So that we don't say, okay, I've got this disease, I can whip it, I know I can. It's about positive attitude and vibes. Baloney. A lot of people with the most positive attitudes and vibes die of disease, don't they? It's so that when we get underneath of those things, we have to realize I cannot do this on my own. God allows us to get into situations to totally, so that we totally trust him that these things that are beyond our strength, that are more than we can handle, we learn then to depend on him. And as a matter of fact, please, this is just the truth. God often uses overwhelming tragedy, overwhelming heartaches, to force us as believers to come to the place where we realize I can't make it on my own. And when we learn that we are weak, then in his strength, we become strong. You think of some Bible characters who were overwhelmed. Think of some. I thought of some in the scriptures. People that were really must have been overwhelmed by what was going on in their life. Noah, you've never seen a ship like this, but I want you to build it. It's going to rain. You've never seen rain. There's going to be a flood. You've never seen a flood. No, but here's what I want you to do. What? Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, the son I promised to give you, and I want you to go up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. I think that might be overwhelming. Moses, when you come down off this mountain, I want you to go to Egypt. You know that place where you're wanted for murder? And I want you to go right up to Pharaoh and demand that he free my people. Gideon, I know you're not a soldier, you're not a professional military man, but you're going to lead my army, the army of your people, to fight the Midianite army of 135,000 soldiers, and you're going to fight them with an army of 300, and you're going to win. David, you're a shepherd. But you go out and you fight this champion warrior who has a shield, who has a sword, who has a spear. You go out and fight him and you defeat him with a sling and some rocks. Mary, I know you're just a virgin teenager, but you're going to become a pregnant virgin teenager and give birth to the Son of God. All through Scripture, You can't read the Bible without realizing that over and over and over, God took his people through humanly impossible situations when they were the weakest, when they were incapable of surviving, and he showed them his greatness to trust in him. The key to the Christian life is not trying to be strong in ourselves, but rather letting God's power and God's strength fill and empower us 
through the inevitable difficulties, and everybody in this room is going to go through them, and some of you have already been through some, through the inevitable, inevitable difficulties of life and even gospel ministry. What we can be assured of is that when we go through these difficult trials, God will be with us. And he uses those trials, the Bible tells us, in places like Romans 5 and James chapter 1. He uses those trials to develop perseverance and proven character in us. And he will use our experiences when we rely on his strength, when it shows up in our time of storm. He'll use those experiences that he's carried us through to then go on and comfort others who are going through similar stuff. And we can say to them through experience, listen, your life is not your own. You've been crucified with Christ. Let him live this through you, and he will carry you through it one way or another. You'll make it through. So my encouragement to you this morning is, because again, we all will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't mean when I die. It means when life trials get really hairy. We'll all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. My my encouragement this morning is trust God from the start, not after you've exhausted all your abilities. And that's what we tend to do. We try everything we can think of. I'm no mechanic. I, I confess that and admit it. But something goes wrong with my car. I'm going to try to fix it myself. You know, and I can have many stories of making that attempt and finally having to call the tow truck. It ran before I got into the hood. Not very well, but it ran. But now it doesn't run at all. You know what those kind of things? I have all kinds of stories. I can do this. I watch the YouTube videos, how to fix this or that. I can do that. I'm going to try it here really soon on my truck, by the way. And what I've learned is to, say, to get to the point and say, you know what, I've tried everything I know to try. This is beyond my capability. I need to take it to the mechanic. That's what we need to do from the start in our lives when things come into our lives that overwhelm us. Not to say, well, if I do this and if I do that, if I buy this, if I sell that, if I, you know. We, we try everything we can do. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have you've seen the advertisements on, on the internet or on TV for some kind of supplement, you know, that's going to help you lose weight or whatever it might be, and you've tried that, and you realize that it didn't work. Start with God from the beginning of your trial, not after exhausting all of your abilities. Paul later wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Verses 9 and 10, he said to me, the Lord Jesus, he said, said to me these words, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need. For power, my power is perfected in your life, in your weakness. Paul says, therefore, because of that, I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ." I am pleased in weaknesses, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, and in pressures. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. God never once said, 
Rick, to me, or to you. I think you're strong. You're pretty strong, Rick. So I'm going to heap problems on you for you to carry, and then when you can't carry them anymore, I'll carry them for you. He never said that. Never. What God has said is this, Psalm chapter 91, verse 15, when they call on me, I will answer, and I will be with them in trouble, and I will rescue and honor them. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And again, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, My grace is all you need. Church, all means what? All. And that's all, all means. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our weakness, God, just illustrates to us, I mean, if we, we want to say, well, I'm not so weak, I'm pretty strong, just the fact that we say that indicates how weak I am. If I say, I can do this without God, it shows how weak I am. But Lord, you don't want me to do anything without you. You want me to do it all in your strength and your power. And God, the fact of the matter is, you may bring things into my life that I cannot handle. And you will, because you want me to learn to trust in you. That doesn't always mean, God, that you're going to heal me of the disease. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to turn my financial status around. It just means that you're going to help me walk through that valley. You're going to be with me. So that when I get through that valley on the other side, I will come back to your house and praise you forever. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for David and Moses and Noah and Gideon and Abraham and Mary and the countless others in the Bible who learned this principle, some of them the hard way. I thank you, God, that you are with us, that you'll never leave us. Jesus, you'll never forsake us. That, we, that you have the strength that I don't have. And I just simply need to cling to you and trust in you. That's such a challenge for me. I pray you'll help us to learn that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.